0: You are listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers 1 Corinthians 1 1 through 17. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Cole. A new sermon series we're starting today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm, re- I'm wondering do any of you remember a TV show from a while back called Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Anybody? Remember that show? I felt like, wasn't that just like a couple years ago? Then I looked it up and it's been a couple decades ago, uh, that show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Maybe you remember it was really popular for a while at that time, uh, how the show worked. They would find a family that was in need of some sort of a new home. Their home was in disrepair or wasn't serving their purposes for some reason. And so they would send the family away for a week and bring in all these contractors. And then just. One week, they would take this house and rebuild it in such a way you could hardly recognize it as the house that it was before. They would go down to the bones, so to speak, oftentimes, and redesign things and and rebuild it. Then they would bring the family back, and they would have a bus parked in front of the house. Maybe you remember this part. And the family would kind of stand where they couldn't see the house. And then they would all say, bus driver, move that bus, okay, some of you remember, and the bus would pull away, and then the family, oh my goodness, look at this new house, you know, all ecstatic because it was a completely different house than what they had left a week earlier. Well, this new sermon series on 1 Corinthians, we're calling it Extreme Makeover Church Edition. I always wondered what the follow-up show was going to be, home edition, what's the next edition? I don't know if they ever did a follow-up show or not, but here we are, we're going to do it for them with church edition. And we have here, 1 Corinthians, a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the church, the church family congregation, in the ancient city of Corinth. And in this letter, Paul basically says that this church in Corinth needs to do an extreme makeover. He's not talking about remodeling. You know, we have a remodel project going on in the church now. He's not talking about their building. This is first century, early church. They almost certainly did not have a church building. They're probably meeting in people's living rooms and homes. But he's talking about them as a community, as a group of Christians trying to follow Christ together. And Paul is looking and saying, you have such major problems among you in how you're following Christ that you need a major renovation, a makeover of your church. And it's a long letter, 16 chapters long, this letter. And if you read through the whole letter, you'll find that Paul addresses some very major problems in the church. It's kind of shocking to read and make a list of all their problems and to think, oh my goodness, what was going on with this church? They're fighting and arguing with each other. They have horrible sexual sins in their church that they're not addressing, incest and prostitution among others. They're actually suing each other in court, in the church, divorcing their spouses. When they meet together, Paul says, it's chaotic, it's disorganized, they're all talking over each other. And by the time you get to the end of the letter... There's more problems of what I'm listing now. But you get to the very end and Paul, it's almost like, oh, and by the way, in chapter 15, finally, by the way, Paul says, maybe we should talk about how you're denying that Jesus is raised from the dead. Like that's an add-on problem. There's so many problems in this church. And so it's, in this letter, it's like Paul comes walking into their church with a sledgehammer, saying, time to gut this thing, do an extreme makeover. We need to bring it down to the studs and rebuild. So this will be quite the interesting sermon series, won't it, as we go through these various issues the church was facing as we think about our own church. We're starting today in chapter 1, the first 17 verses, and we're going to see that in this passage, the opening part of the letter, Paul is mostly positive, at least at first, as Paul essentially what we'll see is he is commending them here, for having a good foundation, for having good bones, we might say, about a house, because they all are in agreement that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul's saying that's the foundation we've got to go down to and rebuild from there, but at least you've got the right foundation. Okay, so as we read that text, I told you kids to see if you could count how many times we heard the phrase, Our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's start with the kids. Any of you kids try to count how many times you heard that phrase? What'd you think, Finn? Is that your answer? Four? Four times? Okay. Anybody else have a guess? One time? Okay, yeah, Lynn? Eleven Eleven times? Okay. Yeah, Zeke? Five times? Are we just guessing? Five times? Okay, did any adults try it out? Any adults want to weigh in? You've got five times? Five times? Okay, somehow I counted six. Now you're making me rethink my math. But there is one or two times where it's not exactly our Lord Jesus Christ, like Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, but we'll say five, six times, somewhere in that ballpark. That's a lot of times in just 17 verses. That's an important theme. That's the foundation Paul is saying. It's good that you have this foundation. We're going all the way down to that and then we're gonna start rebuilding. Okay, so here's our outline for today. Three points in our outline. This is in your bulletin if you wanna follow along. You'll wanna have your Bible open. We're just going to work through this passage more or less verse by verse. So if you wanna follow along in your Bible, that'd be great. Here's our outline first. In our first point, we'll look at the introduction, the first few verses, and we'll see this important theme that Paul establishes that in the church, we are saints together. Then second, Paul gives a thanksgiving. And in his giving thanks for them, he reminds them of the sufficiency of God's grace. And then third and finally, Paul will make his opening appeal in the letter that they would be united. And in all of it, we'll see he's setting this foundation, affirming this foundation that Jesus is Lord. That's what they need to unite around. Okay, so the introduction here, Saints Together, verses 1 through 3. Paul begins with a typical opening of a letter saying who is writing and who he's writing to. So in verse 1, he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul's writing this letter. He's working together with his teammate Sosthenes. And Paul describes himself here as someone who is called by God's will to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, this clues us in right away that Paul here, he is not just writing a personal letter to a friend. This isn't going to be a, hey, pal, how's it going kind of letter, or a how about them mariners, and how about them mariners, huh? Not that kind of letter, but he's writing with some authority here. He's saying, I am called by God to be an apostle an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus with a special task to make Jesus known and a special authority over the church. And I'm writing as an apostle to you, Paul says. Then in verse 2, who is he writing to? To the church of God. This is verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he's writing to the church in Corinth. And when Paul writes to these Christians in Corinth, Paul actually knows the people he's writing to, at least some or many of them. He has a personal connection to them. He doesn't say it right away here in the book of 1 Corinthians, but if you go to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 18... We find the story of how this church in Corinth started. And who was it that traveled to Corinth and preached the gospel and started the church? It was Paul. Paul went to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. When he arrived, he met a couple Christians there, Priscilla and Aquila. They got to work together preaching the gospel, and this church was started. We read in Acts chapter 18 about how some Jews opposed Paul, but some Jews believed And many Gentiles believed, and his ministry there was so successful, we might say, that Paul spent a full year and a half in Corinth. So Paul knew these people, at least some or many of them. And we learn throughout the letter that Paul has stayed in touch with the church in Corinth. Uh, Later in the letter, Paul will refer to the letter the Corinthians wrote To him. And he'll talk about people from Corinth who have come with reports to Paul. And Paul's been kind of keeping his ear to the ground. How are things going over there in Corinth? And so Paul knows this congregation he's writing to. That's going to become apparent throughout the letter. They have a relationship together. He knows all of the problems. He's going to Address all these problems throughout the letter. He knows those problems up front. He knows where this letter is going. And yet, notice how he starts here, how he describes this congregation. He says in verse 2 that this congregation, you have been called by God to be saints, saints together with one another and with all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And your saints, Paul says, because God has sanctified you. To be a saint means to be a holy person. To be sanctified comes from the same Greek word. It means to be made holy or to be made into saints. And Paul's saying to them, when you put your faith in Christ, he made you into a saint. You are a saint because of what Christ did in your life. And in the church, you are saints together with other saints around you. And so even right now today, you can look at the Christian sitting to your right. So look at the Christian sitting to your right. That is a saint. Look at the Christian sitting to your left. That is a saint. Okay, look in the mirror if you had one, and you're looking at a saint. You're saints together. Paul says. That's the work Christ did in you. He made you a saint. He's bonded you together with everyone else who is a saint, which is all those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's that phrase, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul emphasizes, he is their Lord and ours, your Lord and mine, our Lord together. We are saints together. And so Paul says, what's happened here in Corinth is God has taken the saints in Corinth, those who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he has brought you together in Corinth, and you are now the church in Corinth. You're the local gathering of saints in your town. This is what Paul's setting forward here. This is church 101, This is the very, very basic, fundamental foundation of what the church is. When we say we are Grace Church of Mapton, what is the church? At the very foundation, what we mean by that, that we are the church, the very foundation of it is we are saints together in Mapton. We're the people who come together and we call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ together. He is your Lord. He is my Lord. He is our Lord. And we are those who have been made saints by Christ. That's what the church is. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians up front, here's the foundation. Here's the core of your identity. You are saints brought together in Christ, calling on the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's the truth. Now, the, the church in Corinth, like we've mentioned several times, it has a lot of problems. That's what they're known for in Scripture. 2,000 years later, when we say the church in Corinth, if you know the Bible a little bit, the first thing you think of, oh, the church with all the problems. And yet, Paul says, here's the deeper identity. Problems aside, you're saints together calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 verse 3, Paul gives his usual greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from, and here it is again, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, he moves into his thanksgiving. And this takes us to our second point, his thanksgiving now, where he gives thanks for them. And in his thanksgiving, he focuses on the sufficiency of God's grace. And this is going to be very important as well. So look at verse 4. Paul now gives thanks. Here's what he says in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm always thanking God for you, Christians in Corinth, for the church in Corinth. Why do I thank God for you? Paul says, because of God's grace to you. Grace simply refers to a gift because of God's gifts, how generous God has been in giving to you in Christ Jesus. Now, I find that interesting because usually when we think of giving thanks to God for someone, we're thinking of something special about that person or something positive about them. And if you you notice what Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, I'm thanking God for you because of how special you are as Christians or because of what a great church you are. I've heard about the good teaching in your church or the great music or you love each other so well. Paul says, no, I give thanks to you not because of anything you are or you've done. I give thanks to God for you because of what God has given you. It's because you are the recipients of God's grace. And in fact, God has been so generous to you. In verse five, Paul says that in every way you were enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge. You've been made rich in Christ, Paul says. All the knowledge you need about Christ and his will and his ways, all the words you need to speak about Jesus. In fact, you're so rich in verse 7 that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything you need to make it all the way to the end, when Jesus will return. And verse eight, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse nine, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is overwhelmingly positive from Paul. Take take account of your blessings, Paul says. Look at how generous God has been to you, that he has given you everything you need to remain faithful to him, guiltless until the day Jesus returns. And he won't take it away because God is faithful to you. And so Paul gives thanks to God for you, but really for God's generosity to you with his gifts. Now, ironically, <laughs> ironically, we're going to find as we work through the letter that one of the problems the Corinthian church has is they've really messed it up when it comes to God's gifts. They misunderstand God's grace to them. They misapply it. They get spiritual gifts all wrong. They began fighting with each other. They're jealous over God's gifts given to this Christian or to that Christian. Lots of problems. They've really messed it up. But at this point in the letter... Again, Paul is positive. Thanks be to God that he's been so generous to you, given his grace so richly to you. So how can Paul, it's kind of a conundrum, how can Paul be so positive when he's about to break out the sledgehammer and break them down? How can he do that? Now, I don't know if you've had an experience like this. Many of you have been to our home and some of you who we've known for years, maybe, you've, maybe you were in our home in the early days when, when we first bought it, but and maybe you've had this kind of experience. When we were house shopping and we walked through our home for the first time and walked through the door and I put my eyes on our house for the first time, all I could think was, oh man, this is going to be a lot of work. The house hadn't been maintained very well for several years, the carpet and flooring was old and worn. The kitchen cabinets were kind of weird and dated. Bad paint jobs around, strange colors and dirty walls. Had popcorn ceilings that were dirty. Do you know what that's kind of like? One of the bedrooms had a weird rainbow painted on a wall that was painted with like fingernail polish or something. I mean, it was like not even paint. I don't, we still don't know what that was. The crown molding, somebody had taken baseboards and flipped them around and stuck them up and called it crown molding. I mean, the whole house was like this. Walking through it, all I could see was work. What doesn't need to be redone in this house? But Susie fell in love with it. So we made an offer and thinking, well, we, we better get it for the right price. You know, We made this offer, they accepted the offer. And then an inspector came, and I thought, this could, go, this could be a train wreck. The inspector came and walked around, and he kept talking about how great the house was. It's got a solid foundation. The structure is well built for the most part. The roof is in really good shape. And basically what he was telling us was, like we say sometimes, it's got good bones. The, the essential pieces are all here. And so we realize, well, if we do the hard work of remodeling all these things, we'll actually probably end up with a home that will be a good home for our family for many years to come, which is what the case was. Paul kind of has a similar perspective here for the church in Corinth. He's, as he's writing, he's very aware of all of the work that needs to be done, the extreme makeover this church needs. But he opens the letter like that home inspector, You've got good bones. Your foundation, the core structure, is solid. Foundation, again, you are saints together calling upon Jesus as Lord. You've got the foundation. The structure, he's saying, is solid because, not because of you, but because God is so faithful. He's been so generous to you in his grace that he's given you everything you need to stand and to endure guiltless as a church until the end. Everything you need is here to build a strong, healthy church. And so Paul can see past all those problems and say, you've got a promising future here, even if there's a lot of things we're going to have to address. And so Paul gives thanks to God for them. And this informs us still today, what should our perspective be as Christians when we think about the church, about our church, about one another. Sometimes we can look around at one another and our church, and sometimes, especially when you get to know us a little bit, the problems are pretty obvious. Look at all the issues we have in our church. I mean, I'm looking at you guys right now thinking, oh my goodness, look at all the issues we have Look at all the challenges. Can you believe this person, that person, the way they behave, the way they take care of this or that issue, the immaturity, the backward thinking, the attitude here or there? How can we be so poorly organized as a church? Why can't we just do better? There are always problems, challenges, challenges. But Paul sets the tone for us. What should our attitude be? Our attitude should always begin with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your gifts that you have been so generous to us, that you have given to us as a church everything we need to be your faithful people now and until the end when Jesus returns. So thank you, Lord, for giving us good bones as a church. Well, that warms the heart. (laughs) That makes us feel good for a moment about ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for these other saints who are together with me here in Mapton. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us so richly. Thank you, Lord, for the joy and privilege of calling on the name of our Lord Jesus together. It was good to hear the inspector Walk through our house and say it's got good bones, it shouldn't fall down today or tomorrow. That was good to hear. Then we took ownership of our house. And we walked in the door the first time when it's our house. And then reality sets in. We're going to have to get to work here. We've got a challenge in front of us. And this is where Paul goes now in our third point in verse 10. Paul says, Okay, it's time roll up the sleeves, brace yourselves, put on your safety glasses. It's demolition time. We're getting to work. And so he makes his opening appeal. Now, this is our third point, his opening appeal to be united, be united. So look at verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you brothers By the name of, here it is again, our Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of your Lord Jesus, I'm appealing to you, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Okay, we have your Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus, he's our Lord Jesus, we all have the same Lord. So Paul says, follow my logic, Paul's saying, Instead of being divided, how about we unite together as those who have the same Lord Jesus? Now, we'll find as we go through the letter that when Paul talks about uniting together, agreeing, being of the same mind, Paul's not saying that he expects Christians to think exactly the same on every issue. He's not talking about uniformity. This will become apparent throughout the letter, especially in chapter 8. He'll talk about the weaker brother and the stronger brother and how at different times God might lead us as Christians to think differently on issues and have different conscience uh, conclusions on issues. There's room for diversity in the church. It's not uniformity that he's looking for. Well, we're supposed to be all clones of one another. Although if we're honest, now I don't know about you, so I'll be honest. You can be honest too, but if we're honest... How often do we think, you know, church would be a lot easier if everyone else would just think like I do? Wouldn't that make church life a lot easier if everyone was just like me? Never if I'm just like them, but if they were just like me, church would be a lot easier. But there are differences among us. Paul's point is not that we should all be exactly the same. Paul's point is that we should all be in agreement, in unity of mind on the fundamental things, especially that foundational truth. Jesus Christ is our Lord, and that should rally us together in unity, regardless of whatever differences we might have. And so Paul's concern here is not so much with differences among us, but with divisions among us. There should be no divisions among you, where you have different camps in the church with these people rallying around this side of an issue and these people rallying around that side of an issue. and We just can't figure out how to get along. And that's exactly the problem that's going on in the church in Corinth. Here's the first problem Paul's going to describe. In verse 11, Paul says, I've received a report from Chloe's people that there is quarreling taking place among you. We don't know who Chloe is other than that her people are snitches. Okay? They've gone to Paul. Chloe apparently, maybe she knew Paul from his time in Corinth, remember, but she sent people to Paul to rat out the church. Hey, you guys, go tell Paul that all these people keep arguing and can't get along with each other. In verse 12, they're fighting over which Christian leader they're going to follow. Some are saying, I follow Paul. They're in the Paul camp. I like Paul's style of teaching. I was baptized by Paul. I was here in the early days when the Apostle Paul first showed up. I was one of the first to come to Christ. I'm a Paul guy, me. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Apollos was another Christian leader who spent time in Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, here's the description we have of Apollos. Here's how Luke describes Apollos in Acts 18.24. He says, Apollos was an eloquent man. An eloquent man. So some in Corinth are saying something like, I really like it when Apollos teaches, when he preaches and speaks. He, he's an eloquent speaker. Maybe that's why Paul's going to say down at the end of our passage in verse 17, I don't speak eloquently. I mean, Paul's kind of like, me don't speak good. But Apollos, he's a great speaker. Some, I like, I follow Apollos. Others are saying, I follow Cephas, another name for the apostle, Peter. And who knows why they might want to follow Peter. But you can imagine if you get to spend time with Peter, you're spending time with somebody who spent time with Jesus. You probably have some pretty cool stories to tell about walking on water and things like that. Peter's the guy. So there's three different camps in the church, Paul, Apollos, Cephas. And then a fourth group is kind of disgusted by the whole thing. And so they're taking the high road and going super spiritual. Well, I follow Christ. Forget Paul and Cephas, Apollos. Who needs that? I just look to Jesus, which sounds really good until you realize Paul's an apostle called by God. Maybe you should listen to him. These other guys are servants of God for your sake. They have something to offer. You can't just reject them. These are brutal, these divisions in the church. And so Paul, remember here, he's got his sledgehammer out in this letter, okay? He goes straight after it in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Straightforward questions with, straightforward implications. Is Christ divided? Is there more than one Jesus? He divide himself up, different Jesus for different camps. There's just one Jesus. And when you say Jesus is Lord and you say Jesus is Lord, aren't you talking about the same guy? So how can you have different camps? And who was crucified for you? Was it Paul who died on the cross for your sins? Did Cephas die on the cross for your sins or Apollos for your sins? Only one person died on the cross for your sins. And who was that guy again? Oh, yeah, Jesus. And the same for all of you. And when you put your faith in Jesus and you were baptized, whose name were you baptized into? Into the name of Paul? Cephas? Paul? Or was it into the name of Jesus, the Lord? We may have done the baptisms, Paul says, Paul, Cephas, Apollos. That doesn't matter who did the baptism. What matters is whose name you were baptized into the name of Jesus. And you guys are getting so caught up in who did the baptizing. And for that reason, Paul says in verse 14, I'm actually glad I didn't do more baptisms. I've never heard a pastor say that. But here's the Apostle Paul. I'm glad I didn't do more baptizing among you. Than I did. Well, I did baptize Crispus and Gaius. And then in verse 16, oh yeah, there was the household of Stephanus too. I guess I did do some baptizing, but who cares, Paul's saying. It doesn't matter. I mean, baptism matters. Yes, absolutely being baptized in the name of Jesus as a disciple, that matters. But which of his servants did the baptism doesn't matter at all. And so if you're just going to fight over it, Paul says, then good grief. I wish I'd just let someone else do all the baptizing. Verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize people, to build a camp around who I baptized. He sent me to preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and to preach it with words not of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What does that mean, Paul? Paul? Where would that come from? Eloquent wisdom, not eloquent wisdom, the gospel, the cross of Christ being emptied of its power. Glad you asked because Paul says, that's what I'm going to talk about next. So come back next week. In the rest of chapter 1, Paul will talk about this whole idea of wisdom and the cross and all of that. But Paul wants these Christians in Corinth to be loyal. But their loyalty goes to one place, to their Lord. And who is Lord? Jesus is Lord. And there's no other loyalty. And when we are devoted to faithfully following our Lord Jesus Christ, then we come together, like Paul describes, in fellowship, in unity, as saints together in the church. You know, we could, even still today, we can look around at our church here, at at one another in our church. And isn't it true that we come from a lot of different backgrounds, all of us? All of us have a story of our faith in Christ. And you can think of your story, I can think of my story, of when we came to faith in Christ, who baptized us, who mentored us, who taught us, who had influence in our lives. Some of us maybe can go back in our minds 80 or even 90 years or more thinking of these things. Some of us maybe just recently, the last year or two, thinking about it. And I was trying to guesstimate in my mind. Now, here's my, my attempt, kids, to make some guesses with numbers. Let's say there's about 75 or so among us here today. If each of us were to say the name of the person who baptized us, how many names would we have in the room of people who did the baptisms. I'm just gonna guess, it can't be less than 20 different people who baptized different ones of us. And if we wrote down the names of the different people who had influence in our faith, parents, pastors, Sunday school teachers, Christian friends, we'd have a whole different, all of us would have different kinds of lists of different kinds of people. There's all kinds of differences among us. And God has used all those people, his servants, to shape us, to grow us in our faith, to bring us to this point where today, October the 2nd, 2022, we are the people sitting in this room in Mapton. And Paul says, now, for you, for me, for us, church, In Mapton, here's what unites us together today. The one and only thing that matters. It's the foundation that we have that we all share in common, that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is our Lord. And he is the one who called us, who brought us together in this fellowship. He's the one who sanctified us and made us saints together. And through him, God has given to us his grace so richly, so abundantly, that we have everything we need to follow Jesus faithfully until the end. So no matter what problems we might face, No matter what trials might come, what disagreements, what leaders come and go and so on, we unite together around this truth that Jesus is our Lord and we are his church, his saints together. Well, later in this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about one of the things that the church does on a routine basis that serves as a reminder of our unity together in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about the Lord's table, the bread and the cup. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, he's, we'll get there eventually in our series because he's really rebuking the Corinthians because they get this wrong too. Okay? But in the midst of that, he says, if you look at the bread and cup, look at how it all comes from one place, one source, one loaf of bread, one source of juice. And it represents, it's a picture, Paul says, that for us, there is one bread, one Jesus. And so we who are many, this is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, so we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And it's a reminder to us that there's one Lord Jesus Christ, one Jesus who is crucified for us and for our sins, and we're united together around that truth. And so today we'll partake of the Lord's table together in just a moment. This is a reminder for us of Jesus who died for us and for our sins, who's raised and coming again. It reminds us of God's grace to us, of the foundation, of the bones that we have together as a church. And it reminds us of our unity together, that we are saints together together professing here in Mapton, Jesus Christ is Lord. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mapton. For more information, visit our website at maptongbc.org.